Okay. James. James. Hebrews is right there. James chapter number 5. Today, we're, as we've been bouncing back and forth, back and forth from verse 16 to the passage, back to verse 16 to the passage, um, we're going back to 16 because we just dealt with the oil in verse number 14. And I'm tempted to talk about verse 17 today, about Elijah praying that it would not rain. Um, but um, I'll, I'll hold off on that one a little bit. Um, but it is tempting. When they start to buy life preservers for their cattle, you start to wonder. <laughs> James five thirteen through 16. We're going to look at the last part of verse 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he is to call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Those last three words I just read is the focus today, can accomplish much. Heavenly Father, we do start with prayer before we start to speak about prayer. We know that we must come to you to be fed. It is from your hands that we receive all that we need, that we spiritually might grow up, that we might be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might live and operate as mature believers in a world like ours, and how desperately we need your work in our hearts. So today we commit ourselves to that as we open up your word, as we listen to what you would have us to hear, to know, to do. May our hearts be responsive to it. And in all these things, may you receive the glory and we receive much good. So thank you for the opportunity right now to have this precious book in our hands and to be able to read it in our language and then to incorporate it into our lives. We thank you for this very great blessing. And we know it's accomplished because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we praise you, and we pray. Amen. Okay, can accomplish much. What a phrase that is at the end of that thought. We've been talking all about the prayer, and who can pray, and all those things we have been looking at. But this last phrase has kind of gotten our attention too, and we want to give it our focus today can accomplish much. We desire to have for the things that we purchase and the things we invest in, that they accomplish much. That's our desire in just about anything, right? We want it to accomplish much. We buy a vacuum cleaner. In a vacuum cleaner, we we consider all the different things it can do before we make our pick and all the, the different things it comes with. We compare them as to, to how much are they going to cost. And if it's going to take us some money, what kind of attachments do they have? What kind of nozzles do they come with and hoses and USB ports and whatever else? You, no, maybe you don't. We want it to clean our carpets. 
We'd want it to, to clean our wood floors as well and our tile and our furniture and our bathtub and answer the phone and make coffee. We say, what can it do? And we pick the thing that does much because we think that's our investment. Prayer can accomplish much. I know this church believes that. We live that way. We know that prayer can accomplish much. But do you realize there is much more to answered prayer than the answer? Let's talk about it today. When we look at this verse, and we see that phrase, can accomplish much. The prayer of a righteous man, if you have an NIV right now, you're reading, is powerful and effective. If you have a King James, it says, it availeth much. If you're working from an English Standard Version, an ESV, it says, uh, the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. Picking this little phrase apart just for a few minutes here. We know when we talk about prayer, we've already studied this, the concept is begging. So we go back to that word. It's not a ritual. It's somebody begging for help. And that's the kind of prayer we're looking at here. When we use the word fervent, as the King James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, we add to it that heartfelt passion. We talk about the energetic nature of it. And there is a word there actually in the text that says energy from the Greek. It's, it's, a, it's a very passionate, active type of prayer. In other words, our prayers are not to be um, lethargic. <laughs> They're not to be uh, indifferent. They're not to be wooden. I use the word wooden. I hope you understood what that meant by that. People who just read these prayers off little cards and that's all they ever say. The Lord says, you know, the Gentiles pray that way. And being a Gentile, I'm a little afraid that he was talking about me. When he says they, they have meaningless prayers and repetitious prayers. And sometimes we just go through words because we've learned them. But we've never engaged the heart. Which would you rather talk to? Somebody who cares about you and is expressing to you what they really feel or somebody who talks to you like the robots on the telephone? Which kind of prayer is yours? We've talked about that a little bit too. We've talked about the righteous man. The righteous man is first and foremost a man who's right with God. That means he has to be a believer. He has to know the Lord Jesus Christ because it's through the Lord Jesus Christ we have this kind of access of prayer to find help in time of need. We know that it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ we have access to the Father anyway because He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And nobody comes to the Father but through Him. So we know. You have to be a believer. And you say, but what about unbelievers? Well, that's an interesting question. There is one prayer the Lord loves to hear from an unbeliever. Save me. And I'm not going to even go down the road as whether or not he hears all the others. I'm not him. But I do know this is what he calls for. The prayer of a righteous man. I just see it in the text. I go with that. Also, it talks about those who walk with the Lord. And we've done with, 
done some work on that too. And that's what we're called to do. We're to live up to what we are. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then live like you believe in Jesus Christ. We call that faith. We call that living faith. And that's our whole topic here. We're talking about living faith. What does it look like? And it comes down to prayer. We learned a little, about, a little bit about Elijah and the prophets of Baal in an earlier uh, passage in the Old Testament. And we found out their prayers, and we compared them to our prayers, and we found out some interesting things about that. Prayer is not based on number, how many people are doing it at one time. Prayer is not based on duration. It doesn't matter how long you make your prayers. There's some funny stories I've heard over the past history books and things like that. I love to read stories about D.L. Moody and such back from the 1800s. And, and they had people back then who prayed a long time. And I remember once reading of D.L. Moody sitting there while a man was praying before the service, before the sermon, and the man just kept going on and on and on. And finally, D.L. Moody just stood up and said, well, this man's finishing his prayer. Let's get started on the message. So I said, well, okay. Duration doesn't make it anything more significant in God's eyes. If you have a lot to say, if you have a heart to dump, then do it. But it's not about how long it is that gets his attention. It's not about how many there are that gets his attention. It's not even how much enthusiasm you put into it. It's not the volume of your voice that gets his attention. It's not the sacrifice you put into it in order to pray. It's a prayer of faith. And that's what verse number 15 says very clearly. The prayer offered in faith. Make that the key to understanding the, the whole paragraph. We are praying by faith, not by gimmicks. We're praying by faith. It's not about oil, as we talked about last week. Faith's object is the Lord. That's who we trust. That's who we're talking to. We're praying according to His character. We're praying according to His ability to help us. That's called living faith. And that's what our prayer is. It's an act of faith in the one that we're talking to. Remember, I gave you these five principles about prayer, and it's real simple. Prayer is the fact that we are needy. Prayer is the fact that we must go to somebody to meet that need. Prayer is the fact that we know God is able to meet that need. So prayer is asking Him to be willing to meet it. And, number five, trusting Him with the answer. Trusting Him with the answer. That's dependence, and that's faith, and that's not easy. That's not easy. Now, all of those things we have been talking about, and we come to the end of verse number 16, and see that a prayer in that fashion can accomplish much. I'm going to break that down a little bit for us here today, so we get a grasp of what they are talking about. The word much literally means largely, or abundantly, or plenteously. It works somewhat like an adjective here, or an adverb here, in the sense that it's talking about it has much force. Power. Literally, it's a power that is possessed whether it is exercised or not. It's there. 
God has incredible power. You know that, don't you? When we talk about the theology of God, we usually start with these words that start with omnis, don't we? Omnipotence. What's that mean? All-powerful. If we said omniscience, it's all-knowing. If it's omnipresent, could you guess that one? It's everywhere. So we use these words to try to express something that's beyond really our understanding. And we talk about God and His power, and it's all-powerful. Do you know the Greeks couldn't put that down in one word? They said, we've got to have at least four words to describe that power. And wouldn't you know it, Paul put all four in one verse. He says, boy, I want to tell you about this. So I'm going to tell you about it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. This is a prayer. Paul is praying on behalf of the believers. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, is where he starts a prayer and continues on for several verses here. So, let me show you what he's praying for on behalf of the Ephesian believers. We're going to camp in verse 19, but here it is. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what it is, what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, honestly, folks, that's a topic that will just blow the circuits in your mind to try to grasp. It's huge. Then he goes on to say, and... And, on top of all that, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Now just stop right there. You just seen all four Greek words to describe power. He says that they may know God's power. Here's how it's manifested. First of all, his ability. We call it dunamis. Now you've heard the word dunamis before. Many times when Greek is being taught to somebody who doesn't know Greek and they bring up the word dunamis, they always reference dynamite. Because it's the same word, to tell the truth. The English word that they pull from the Greek, it's dynamite. And, and what's interesting is that it's technically not meant to blow things up in the Greek. We use dynamite to blow things up, to tear rocks apart, to clear paths, whatever we need to do. It, it's got a destructive side to it in the sense that it's fixing something, but it, it's very violent and it blows up. Their word, dunamis, has to do with ability, what it can do. And I'm glad for that, because here, when he puts it in the term, he's talking about these things being known in your heart, and I don't want dynamite going off in there. All right? I want to know about ability, because that's where God's at work. All right? It's in us. His, what is, do you know? Here's the question Paul has in this prayer. He says, do you really know the ability of God? Do you know what He can do? This entire book is a reference to what He can do. Page after page, it talks about what He can do. That's His Power. It starts with creation and goes into the new creation and all. It's just an incredible story. That is what he can do. Alright, that's the first word for power here. The second word that comes up is power as exercise. The Greek word is kratos. Power as exercise. In other words, 
He's got this power, and now he's using it. It's the force that comes from the activity. It's, it is what he is doing. All right? What he is doing. Because it's one thing to say he has it. It's another thing to say he's using it. All right? That's the second word that power pops up here. It's kratos. The third word is energia. Can you guess the word we get from that? Oh, you're great. See, you guys are Greek scholars. You didn't know it. Energia is how he is doing it. How he is doing it. And the last one is iskus. It's I-S-C-H-U-S. Iskus. It's harder to say. But it's power possessed. It's the power possessed. How he is able to do it. Right, so two of them are what he can do, and two of them are how he does it. What he can do, what he is doing, how he is doing it, and how he is able to do it. Sounds like almost a tongue twister to say it. But this is the way the verse translates, verse 19. What is the overthrowing greatness of the ability of him in us who believe, according to the operating activity of the exercise of the power he possesses. Now, I don't know if we could fully grasp that, but I tell you what, we ought to wear caution signs. When you go up to a power plant somewhere at a, at a building and it's got that fence across it and it's got the warnings and it tells you that, you know, something's very bad back there, don't touch it. We all ought to wear that because God's at work in you with this power. And it's like, whoa, really? (laughs) Almost intimidating, isn't it? To think of it. All of this is activated inside of the believer. And sometimes we pray like we're the wimpiest little things on the earth. Oh, God. You know, we, we, we act like we just can't get through this. Even the prayer is hard to do. And all the while he says, if you only knew, Paul says, if you only knew the power of God who resides within you. He can accomplish much. Yet we pray as if he's very limited, don't we? We pray as if he can't quite... Meet the need at the money. But here's what he says in chapter 3, because he's not done with it. Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21, he has to pray again. And this is what he says this time. He says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He said, wow! And he's not done. Now to him who is able... I've told you this before. That's theology in a nutshell, right there. To him who is able, watch what he's able to do. To do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. 
I heard commentator on this one say, we ask so little, we think so small. Notice how he does it. According to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus to all generation forever and ever. Amen. Folks, if we could just grasp this. When we pray, who are we talking to? The one who can. You see? The one who can. It's no, it, it's no wonder when we read in Scripture, these things get us excited. We say, this is wonderful. But then we go to Him in our prayers and we ask like He can't. He can. The prayer that we're talking about can accomplish much. Isn't that what it says? Can accomplish much. It's not the prayer. It's not the manner. It's not the method. It's the God to whom we pray to. That's the answer. If you're putting your trust in your prayer, you're going to be disappointed. If you're putting your trust in the God you're praying to, then you have the answer. You see the difference? That's important for us to understand it. Because we go through a lot of theatrics to pray. (laughs) And it sounds impressive to the rest of the world. But God says, all I wanted you to do was trust me. I can do much. I can do much. I want to give you some examples of this. Because we need to understand this God we pray to. Because there is much more to answered prayer than the answer. There was a, I'm going to call this an accidental blessing this week for me. I was looking for a verse. All right? I was looking for a verse that I, I've heard so many times before, and I have to look it up every time because I go to the wrong place to find it. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Where is that? Oh, I wish you were here earlier. <laughs> I was all over Psalms. I was, I was saying, where is that? I know that verse, but I couldn't find it. And so I'm thinking, I know there's two numbers in it, and it's either a 26 or a 62. Right? Now that helps a lot, doesn't it? So I said, okay, where do I go from there? Uh, it is Isaiah 26, verse number 3. But I went to Psalm 62. Because I said, well, that must be it. But you know what? Here's my accidental blessing. I popped that open, started reading it, and said, wow, what a wonderful song. It just melted my heart to read that psalm. Now you got to hear it, don't you? Let's go over there. Psalm number twenty or sixty-two. Here's where I accidentally went, and I thought, "Oh, I got to tell you guys this one." All right, watch these words. It says, verse number one: "My soul waits in silence for God only." From him is my salvation. Charles Spurgeon said this is the only psalm. Because it's repeated so many times. The word only or alone or that. And so here it's already in verse number one. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold. I will not be greatly shaken. 
How long will you, will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. He's saying, I'm nothing. Why do you want to knock me out? He says, they have counseled only to thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. My soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my stronghold. My stronghold, I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. In a balance they go up. They're Together, lighter than breath, do not trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. And I stopped after reading that and I said, there it says it. Who has the power? God does. Man parades around like they have it, but they don't. Only God has the power. And what's really, really fascinating is right after that, he talks about, and he also is loving. What a beautiful combination. He's got the power, and he's got loving kindness toward us. You see my blessing I got when I read through that. I said, wow, that is what I wanted to show. And here I got them both. Isaiah 26, 2. That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. And then God is the one with the power. So what do we gain in prayer? What do we gain? If there's something more we gain than just the answer, what is it that we gain? I'm going to make this real simple, okay? There's probably 40 points, but I only have three. I'm going to keep it simple. Well, first of all, well, here's the obvious, and then there's three to add to it. What do we gain by the prayer of faith? Number one, it is answers. I don't want to bypass that before I go on to the others. He does answer prayer, doesn't he? You're sure of that? Absolutely. Matter of fact, he answers your prayer every single time. It may not be what you've asked, because he's got a better plan than you do. He always answers prayer. And he always answers it according to what is good. Underscore that in your thinking. Are you willing to trust him with the answer? Are you willing to say, Lord, I don't know what comes of this, but I know what you have for me is good. Are you willing to trust his character? That's where his answer comes from. It comes from his character. It doesn't come from the way you said it or what you want. It's what you need and what he will bless in that answer with. He is always good. And what I find interesting is that his answers are always better than what I ask for. Because he does exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask 
or think. That's what Scripture says, and I have to believe that. That it is what's best for us, and He gives to us what gives Him glory, and what meets our need best. It's always that way. He answers prayer. Don't forget it. Be willing to accept what He has for you. Now, what do I add to that? Besides answered prayer, what else do we get from prayer? You're not going to like this word. It starts with a P. It's called patience. Those people say, don't bring that up. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid to ask for patience, aren't we? Because we say, there's only one way to learn it. So we say, no, I'm not going to ask for patience. You know, I think of all generations, and here's just my opinion standing where I am in 2019. From all generations, I think patience is the biggest challenge of the church today in prayer than any other generation faced it. Because we're in a generation of the give it to me now, and we have so many ways to get it now. Everything quick, everything fast, everything concise, everything microwaved. All right? We want it fast, we want it now. And unfortunately, we take that into the prayer room too. And some reason we expect that that's the way God answers is fast and now. And it's rarely desired when we say be patient. Be patient. What do we learn about patience? Well, in James, you know, James said something about that in chapter number 1. Just use some English words here for a few minutes. In James chapter number 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, that's the New American Standard Version, but some of you just saw a different word right there. If you're following like the King James, what does it give you? Patience. I heard somebody say it. The testing of your faith produces patience. It worketh patience. And he goes on to say, watch this. And let it, in verse 4, have its perfect result. Oh, that's where we can't wait. <laughs> we don't want the results later. We want them now. God says, no, I'm working on it. It's going to be perfect. I want it now. Here, simple test for you. When you make the batter for the cake you want to eat, can you wait long enough for it to cook in the oven? Think about that. Sometimes we're praying. We say we want it now. We forgot there's a perfect result. God's timetable. It's better than your timetable. I guarantee it. It's better than my timetable. Patience. Knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, the King James says. Now, patience is important. Remember what the four commands were? What was the first two? And what was the second one to go with that? Be patient, right? Because that's our problem in prayer. We forget. Patience. By the way, how interested in God is God in building patience in His children? 
Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Patience. He's doing that right now. Do you know that? Because the Spirit is working all those in you to mature you as a fruitful child of God. Patience is there. By the way, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind and love is patient. It's, it's the makeup of a believer. It's what we are all about, is to mimic our Father in heaven. It's to copy His way toward us. We are learning love because He first loved us. And that kind of love is patient. And I think all of us would agree we're glad that God was patient with us. Why can't we be patient with Him? Uh-oh, that gets really close. Okay, patience. That's one of the best answers to prayer. Do you know that? It teaches us patience. It teaches us, I'll use the New American Standard word now too, endurance, because endurance is different than patience. Endurance is the word hupomone. In the Greek, it means to remain under something. It's not looking for the exit. And too many times, I'm afraid that's what we want. When things get hard, we say, how do I get out of here? How do I get out from under that? How do I I stop that? What's the way to end this? We're looking for the way out all the time. Because how many people enjoy being under something? Nobody raised their hand. Good. Because that's what we don't want. But the Lord has us under something, and he says, now just stick right there. I'm with you. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, who's with you? The Lord. You know what he didn't say? I'll meet you on the other side. He walked with you all the way through. So many times when we're under it, we think we're alone. Say, I'm down here all by myself, Lord. I'm being crushed by this thing, and I just can't stay here any longer. And he says, have you forgotten? I'm with you. I'm with you. Matter of fact, I'm your strength. That's why you're not crushed. I'm here. This is the word endurance. And I think that is a very wonderful lesson to learn from prayer. Because when we pray, we think, well, that just solved it. It's done. We're over. Now move to the next chapter. And the Lord may say, no, you're going to stay under this a while because this is building endurance in you. And I need that. And we shy away from it because it hurts. He says, nope, endurance. Your ability to stay under it. Here's a great word about endurance. You ready for this? This is really, really cool. The same word, idea, that we got from that Isaiah passage. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's a Hebrew word to prop it up. It's because the mind is feeble and it wants to fall over. And so the picture of the Hebrews is they get these wood items and they brace it up so it stands up straight. The mind stayed on thee. He props it up. He's going to hold it still so they can go through this. This is the one who trusts in him. His mind has been propped up. And then here, the, the Hebrew word actually is the steadfastness of mind. The steadfastness of mind. It's steadfast because it has been given something to lean on. To rest on so that it could stand still. And that's our Lord. 
That's how we have the ability to endure and stay under, is because he's the one propping us up. You know what? That makes you pray more. Because you have to keep talking to him about it. That probably is one of the most difficult parts of prayer. Not only do we not like to wait, but we don't like to wait there. We want out. But these are the very things that mature us. And isn't that more God's desire than anything else? He wants us to mature under this pressure. Oh, the day is coming when you take us up there and we won't have this problem anymore. Then we will be like Jesus. But we're not yet. So he's at work with you. you. He's working on you. He's maturing you. He says, don't, don't be afraid to stay under it. Here's what Spurgeon said. We, will, we shall not grow weary of waiting upon God if we remember how long and how graciously he once waited for us. So we're building something here. We're building patience. We're building endurance. And I'm going to give you the third one. Focus. A focus is being built in prayer. I wish I had a lot more time because I've got a lot of verses right here. Two pages. I thought if I cut back to five today, I could make it. And here I have only done three. Focus. This one really does take a lot of attention. I've got to come back to this. But let me at least give you this much of it. A quote I came across just this last week uh, by Elizabeth Elliot. You've heard her name before. And most of us, when we hear that name, we stop and say, well, she said a lot of good things. Let's hear what she said. Restlessness and impatience change nothing except our peace and joy. Peace does not dwell in outward things, but in the heart prepared to wait trustfully and quietly on him who has all things safely in his hand. I'm going to read that to you again next week. But that's all about a focus. A focus on the one you trust. Prayer builds that focus. I have a lot more to share with you. That I, I'm sorry we just don't have enough time to keep going. But right now, remember, when it comes to prayer, we can't separate what we have learned so far. Be patient. Be patient. Strengthen your heart. And don't complain. Prayer is a tough gymnasium, but you're going to love the results because it can accomplish much. All right, we'll come back to it next week. Heavenly Father, we had so much to learn, and you're so good to us to give us time to learn it, and so faithful to us in your work in our lives to make us like Christ. What an amazing process you're undergoing. What a wonderful thing it is that you care this much for us. That you won't just abandon us on this point, but you're working in our prayers and through our prayers and in our lives and in our hearts to make us the kind of people who live our faith. And I thank you, Lord, for the dedication you give to us. May we give that back in our own lives, in our own expressions of how we walk, how we trust you, how we pray to you. Let us always remember it's by faith that we do all these things. For without faith, it's impossible to please you. 
Thank you, Lord, for your constant work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.